Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jesse Festa. And before we get to Jesse, let me tell you all about TravelTalesPodcast.com. There you can go and see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that they've written. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Travel Tales Podcast, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod. Hey, there are links to Spotify, where we're on right now. There are links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. And if you go to any of those, please give us good ratings. It'll boost our presence and help more people find the show, and that's a cool thing. You think you might be good for the show? You think other people might be good for the show? Well, then write me. TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of email, that's how I found Jesse Festa of JesseOnAJourney.com. That's her website. But honestly, I can't remember if I wrote her or she wrote me. Either way, it was through email, because she's on the East Coast. And that's how we did this interview, through Skype. And you know my feelings about Skype. I don't like to do interviews remotely. I'd rather talk to people face-to-face. It's more human. Plus, there are much fewer technical issues. And I had a few technical issues with this podcast. We had a little stop and start with uh, Jesse. And there were times in the mix when we were, if we were talking over each other, I was much lower in the mix than she was. But I know, maybe this is a little too inside, you don't need to know this stuff, but I'm paranoid about it. Anyway, all's well, and it was a pleasure to meet her. A lot of you out there want to travel for a living, are starting blogs, they're trying to build up numbers on your various social media sites and your web pages. And I'm the first to admit that I'm a bad businessman when it comes to this stuff. I think it's probably a generational thing where my eyes kind of glaze over when I hear about SEOs and keywords and all the myriad ways of driving eyeballs and clicks to your sites. But yet I am impressed when I see other people doing it and doing it well. And Jessie does it well. She's someone who hustles and she's created a good business for herself. And she has good tips for all you people out there who are thinking of doing the same. She's also an avid traveler and lover of travel, of course. And she has some great travel tales as well. So please enjoy my conversation with Jesse Festa of Jesse on a Journey. Do you prefer Jess? Jesse? How do you want me to refer to you? Uh, Jesse works. Jesse Festa. Is that Latina? It's Italian. My grandparents are from um, like a village near Calabria. Ooh, lovely. Yeah. Have you ever been back to the mainland, the motherland? I have, but not, I don't know anyone like in my family anymore. I mean, I've gone just like, you know, to to travel around, but never like to live with someone. I would love to one day try to trace like my heritage. I've met a lot of people in Naples, though, that have the Festa as the last name, which is kind of funny. Do you speak Italian? No. (laughs) Uh, I speak okay Spanish, like enough to get by. So when I've been to Italy, I kind of speak Spanish and people 
understand me enough. Yeah. We used to call it Spitalian. (laughs) So you started the blog in about 2010, right? 2011. 2011. Sorry. So has it grown like you thought it was going to grow? Yeah. So when I started, I definitely had no like, you know, clear path. I mean, I didn't really understand even anything about how it works. So I'd say today, you know, now it's my full time business. So it is going well. But it's just it's a totally different. um, Just the way I'm approaching it is just so different. Like I have products now. um, I work with brands in a different way. Um, the, The way I create content is totally different. I mean, if I look at my posts from 2011, I've deleted most of those. They're terrible. <laughs> but it's just a totally different thing. <laughs> I hate the term branding, but uh, what makes your blog stand out over the other bloggers out there? What's your thing? So yeah, when I started, my thing was absolutely nothing. Like I just, <laughs> I was just writing about absolutely everything and anything. So now it's definitely more focused on active uh, solo female travel adventures, just way more high quality imagery. Um, now I run photo tours as well. So like when I started blogging, oh my gosh, I my the pictures I took were just, you know, my finger was in them half the time. It was just, it was bad. <laughs> but little by little, you know, you learn, okay, I have to take better images. So I, I learned that. And then you learn the video stuff and, and you're just, you just keep growing. A lot of people out there listen to this who are starting their own blogs and uh, they're always looking for advice. So when someone successful like you was on, uh, I always ask, what would you do differently? What would you tell your 2011 self knowing what you know now? I would definitely tell myself back then and anyone getting started to focus on your email list because, I mean, it is the easiest to convert. It's the easiest to nurture um, the people on my email list. Like I get to know them on a deeper level. It, it's just the, the things I'm able to do with my email list are just not possible on like Facebook and Instagram. So I definitely wish that I would have understood that when I started out. I heard some people mention email lists. I'm like, I don't know what I would say to them. But really, it is like getting them onto your email list and nurturing that relationship, growing the relationship. And, you know, maybe you've heard the term funnels, but you want to have some good funnels set up to you know, take people where you want to take them. Um, on Facebook, it's like, you know, you hope they see your post, but really you want to get them like to your site and onto your email list. So when you say like tending to your email list, does that mean uh, sending a lot of emails to, uh, to the people or uh, just answering when they write you? Or what does that mean exactly when you, when you take care of your email list? Or how does so I, I, um, always advise people kind of break down, you know, you maybe have your main mission statement and then you could break that down further to like two to five themes and then segment your list based on those themes. And maybe you could segment it down even more if you want. But, you know, for me, it's like I have, I lead tours in New York City. So I have my New York City focused segment. I have travel blogging courses. So I have the travel blogging interest segment. And then I have my solo female travelers and then a general travel interest. So I do have these different segments and I do send different emails to people based on which you know group they fall into. So what really is your end game with all this? Do you, do you want to be, I don't know, uh, a, more of a, an on-camera personality? Do you want to uh, do more tours, sell your site as a business? I mean, what's, uh, what's the overall goal? So for me, I feel like, um, you know, I monetize in a few different ways as many people do, but the main ways are products and services that are mine, promoting affiliate partners, 
display ads. I'm with Mediavine and working with brands. I feel like maybe there's something else. Oh, create once in a while, I'll create content for brands as well. So content creation, say. Um, So for me, I feel like making sure that I'm working towards the goals for these different um, avenues of monetization. I personally think that, you know, I look at the travel bloggers that are really, really successful. And I think most of them do have their own products and services. So for me, oftentimes that ends up being the most lucrative avenue and the one I spend the most time on. I love, you know, working with brands and going on press trips and stuff. But I also feel like that's a lot of your own energy that you're expending on every single campaign. So I'm a bit more like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this campaign this month and then relax. Because it is, it's so much energy to go on these trips and take these photos and videos and edit all this stuff. And uh, whereas selling products, if you have your different funnels set up and you kind of have these systems automated to get people into your community, well, they can start to sell themselves. So what are some of your products? What are you selling? The travel blogging courses. I have a few of those and my New York City photo tours. So a photo tour, everybody brings their camera and you just tell them what to shoot? How does this work? So I have one kind of workshop style tour in Bushwick where I do, um, we learn about the culture of the neighborhood, the history and take photos. But the main thing I do is private photo tours where I am actually giving a tour and taking pictures of them. <laughs> ah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the tagline is say goodbye to sel- bad selfies. Because uh-huh. I see so many people on the Brooklyn Bridge with the selfie stick and I was getting annoyed. So I was like, ah, I should offer this. I already have a lot of people asking me to show them around New York. So uh, <laughs> this is what I'm going to offer. Oh, that's cool. I mean, is it like day by day or is it by the week? Or how do you break it down? It's usually a two or three hour tour. I mean, people have booked me for as many as 15 hours. We break that up into like three different days. I can't oh, do it for God. 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do it for 15 hours straight. But sometimes people really like want a guide the entire time. And the idea of having great photos to like go along with that is appealing. But, you know, nine times out of 10, it's a two or three hour tour. Okay, I don't want you to give away your secrets here. But where would you say is like a totally overused cliche spot? That is it by the Statue of Liberty or something? Or can you tell people no, everybody takes their photos here, but you need to go over here? Do you have like a secret spot? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I could probably think of like a thousand places on the Brooklyn Bridge because the Brooklyn Bridge, people see it on TV and it's like no one else is on it and they see these photos, no one else is on it. And then when you get there, oh my gosh, it's like hundreds of people taking selfies. So it's hard to explain, but I've definitely, I mean, the first time I went out there, I almost had a panic attack. I'm like, I I don't know how to like get these good shots of these people because there's so many people around. So now I've been doing this for probably five, six years, and I have just certain angles, I'll say, that I know how to do, and I I do pretty much every tour where I can actually get these shots. Um, But most people, like, stand in the bike lane, and then I've seen some bad spills, people getting, like, hit by a bike, um, or just, like, standing in places where there's no way you're going to get the shot with no one in it. So I'd say it's, I guess it's less of a spot and more of a, you know, consider getting closer to your subject. Consider like, I like to lean on the side of the bridge and kind of move into my subject so I can get the arch behind them. It's it's super hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, I used to live in the Park Slope. Oh, yeah. So you've, you've seen. 
I've been that guy on the bike avoiding people taking selfies. Oh, so, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was there a certain time of day you know to avoid crowds, say like on the Brooklyn Bridge or something? So I'd say I usually tell people sometimes there's no avoiding it and I will do the tours whenever they want. But early morning is best, not only for light, but crowds and weekends. The trains are a mess. So... You know, people want to go to Bushwick and see the street art. Well, right now you can't because it's going to take like an hour to get there because the L train is down. So the weekend you have all these problems with the trains, weekdays, like if you do it at 8, 9, 10 a.m., it's going to be, you know, way easier and the light will be softer too. Okay, then what do you say about like Central Park? Where's the key spot where people need to take photos in Central Park? I love taking people. I usually go to the southeast corner. And I love, um, there's this hill overlooking the ponds and the bridge and an ice skating rink, depending what time of year right now the ice skating rink's up. But you get a view of like a huge chunk of the park as well as the architecture in the background. So I love taking people up there. And I mean, the hill, you can see it, but a lot of people, I see them walk right by it. I think they don't think to like walk up there or something, but you get this great aerial view. Do you agree with me when I tell people that the best month to be in New York is October? Yeah, it's cooler. Summer is like super, super, super humid. So, I mean, most of like a lot of my guests, they're like sweating. We have to take more breaks and it's totally fine. Oh, and the subway's disgusting. So humid. Yeah. 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 I always tell people go in October. It's crisp. It's like perfect city weather. You can walk around all day and not get sweaty and disgusting, but everybody's in town. And if you're lucky, you can see the leaves changing it too. Yeah, this year, the leaves, it's like later this year. And I feel like each year it's probably getting later because the, the weather's changing. The leaves didn't change until, uh, I would say, two or three weeks ago. Maybe two weeks ago. So like early November. Yeah, so a lot of my October guests were like, oh, we came now for the foliage. I'm like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, it didn't uh, happen yet. <laughs> so do you give people like a certain itinerary or do you just go by what they want to see and lead them around? Or do you plan it all out? Yeah. So I give examples of, because I ended up, I, I used to say, oh, custom itinerary. And then I was going back and forth with people a million times. And then I realized at the end of the day, most people just wanted me to suggest places. So I have three suggestions. One's like super classic, Times Square, Central Park, Upper East Side, Brooklyn Bridge. One's like totally Brooklyn. And then the other's a mix of the two. And then fourth, it's, you know, custom. So if the people have an idea in their head, like, I had a girl like two weeks ago who loves Gossip Girl. So she was like, I want a custom itinerary where we're seeing Gossip Girl sites. Huh. I'm happy to do that. But I realize like it'll cut back my back and forth, realizing that nine times out of 10, people just want me to tell them where to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, now I make the suggestions. And if you want custom and you have a good idea of what you want, then like totally fine. I could still do that. <laughs> Is there a New York City attraction that's just played out? <laughs> like when people suggest that you just roll your eyes and go, oh, that place again. Oh. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> um, is it the Statue of Liberty? Come on. Is it? No, I love the Statue of Liberty. I feel Times like the Statue Square. of Liberty. Times Square? Maybe Times Square? For me, I wouldn't go to Times Square on my own. Well, but I still, like, if you're visiting for the first time, I still you think you have it. to go. Yeah, that's why it's so hard to pick, like, 
a place like that because I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I cry when I go to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Well, there's a reason they are tourist attractions. I mean, you kind of got to see them. But it's weird how when you live there, you don't really go until someone's visiting in town. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I guess we should go. <laughs> you don't think about it when you live there. Yeah, exactly. I love, um, oh, not I love, I would say like Empire State Building is really cool. But if you have to pick a lookout, that would be my least favorite. The line is long unless I went to the Empire State Building that like midnight couple months ago just for fun and it was like nobody there that was pretty cool but if you have to pick one of the lookouts i would pick top of the rock but personally i also think i'd rather just go to a rooftop bar and get a great view and then i'm paying for like good food and drinks first just like a lookout that i'm gonna take a photo of so for me i would say if i had to pick like a played out thing i'm not really into like paying to go yeah. up to the empire state building but I think we have so many really, really awesome, like upstairs at the Kimberly is an incredible rooftop bar, great food, great drinks. And the Chrysler building is so close. It feels like you can touch it. I would prefer to go there personally. And you're going to get a stunning view. One of my favorite places to go to, and I tell people this all the time, is the lobby bar at the Mandarin Oriental. Do you know where that is? Ooh, no, I haven't been. I'm going to add that to my list. You know, in Columbus Circle there? Yeah. It's amazing. Got these like 15 foot floor-to-ceiling views overlooking Central Park. It's like on the 30th floor or something. And uh, you don't have to stay there because that's super expensive. But if you just go there for a drink and you would get there at the right time of day, like around sunset, and then when you see uh, the Central Park and then the lights come on a little later, it's just amazing. So go there and get a drink in the lobby bar. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, maybe it's expensive, but so is Empire State Building and all those other things. So at least then you're getting a drink or something. Right. So have you thought of taking this photo service anywhere else other than New York, like overseas or something? No, you know, I I have so many blogger friends who lead like these amazing tours in other cities. And I've even gone on some, but I, I, I really like, I feel like New York is the place I'm from. It's the place I know. I feel really comfortable. Like if... I realize the marathon is going on and we can't get near Central Park like I could think on the fly. I feel like if I went somewhere else, I just right. wouldn't be as comfortable, yeah, giving the right information and knowing like the cool spots. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Give me your top three international locations that you could visit over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Latvia, uh, oh, Panama. Been. Yeah, it's, you know, my favorites are usually where I've been recently, but uh, I genuinely, yeah, Latvia was awesome. I love Eastern Europe, uh, Panama, and I think I would say Slovenia, especially the capital. They don't have cars in the city center, and I feel like that just does wonders for your mental health. But yep, they have all the cool stuff that like the great restaurants and the wine in a beautiful spot. Like you could drink on the river. And- is that L- Ljubljana? Yeah, Ljubljana. I might be saying it wrong too, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there. I, I've been to Croatia a bunch right nearby. but I- Yeah, I did Croatia and then I took the overnight bus to Slovenia. What was it about Latvia that you liked so much? I thought the city had so much to offer, you know, great architecture. Oh, yeah, I've been to Riga. Yeah, and then it was so easy to just take the bus and do some really awesome day trips, uh, hiking. And I did some really quirky tours, like a sunrise stand-up paddleboarding tour, which they picked me up at 2.30 a.m. for. Like, it was kind of crazy. You had to hike to this, like, hidden lake. It was really beautiful. And then um, I did a jungle hike overnight. It started at 10 p.m. and went until like 8 a.m. the next day. It was kind of crazy, but I was glad I did it. Wait, a jungle? 
in Latvia? Yeah, it was a jungle hike, but in the pitch black. <laughs> well, they call it the jungle, I guess. I mean, it's definitely like thick woodland. Woods, Maybe you wouldn't yeah. say jungle. Yeah, I was thinking, it's like, boy, that doesn't strike me as jungle, tropical area. The tour is called the, like, I think it's called the Latvian Element Jungle Hike. That's why I called it that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just got back from Bucharest. It's cool. I mean, if you like Latvia, you probably like... Bucharest as well. I also recommend getting out in the countryside, really, into Transylvania and all that stuff. It's beautiful. Yeah, my really good friend's girlfriend is from Romania. We just traveled in Spain together, so yeah, I'm like, oh, I want to go there next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good stuff. What what uh, made you like Panama, too? I've been there, and I, I enjoyed it. What do you like about it? I just was there uh, probably two months ago, and um, I'm like, I love nature, so yeah, we did a good mix of it, my boyfriend and I do one big trip a month, uh, a year together. So usually I'm by myself, but I was with him for this. And like, he's really good at finding really cool accommodations too. And that helps. So we stayed on a chocolate farm with like incredible hikes and like wildlife. We would, we had this outdoor shower where we had a sloth, like right, like almost arm's length away from Aww. us. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And then um, we stayed at this one place that, we had a hike 20 minutes up a mountain into the cloud forest with our luggage. I'm like, oh, why did you pick this place? This is like so hard. But when we reached it, we had the entire like, I don't want to say mountaintop, but it felt like maybe it was a mountaintop. I mean, we were at the top of whatever it was looking down into a valley in the cloud forest all by ourselves. So it was pretty incredible. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was worth it in the end, but it was tough. to. You definitely have to be physically fit to... uh get up there <laughs> is that typical for you like are a lot of the holidays you take are they active holidays are you into hiking and you know, all that extreme stuff yeah i usually do a lot of hiking and then i've done a few i'm not gonna say i'm like this expert biker but i do a lot of biking uh i did a two-week bike trip through kerala india i've done some cool bike biking in france and italy so i try to do some kind of biking activity in every place. I mean, I'm usually not doing a two-week bike trip. That was kind of unique, yeah. and I loved it. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy being active in the outdoors. I feel like you're interacting with your surroundings versus kind of just looking at it. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's why I like it so much. Uh, I've been to India twice, the south and the north. And I preferred the south, I think, because it was more biking and hiking. I stayed on in nature reserves and – I stayed on this like organic spice farm. So that's like in a nutshell, kind of like how I like to travel, being active and staying in these kind of like eco. You were riding a bike around that crazy Indian traffic? Yeah, most of it was countryside and then a few cities. Like, I don't think the trip would have been the same if I did like like Varanasi and Agra or anything like oh, that. God, this was no. way more, yeah, countryside situation. Yeah. I found India much more pleasant getting out of the cities. Yeah, in like Delhi and Varanasi. I mean, yeah. I was sick by day two and oh i got sick too everybody gets sick oh i feel like almost everyone does and then we went to a little place called boondi a little town and i like kissed the ground because it was you know the traffic was gone i was like i want to yeah. stay here for the rest of the time yeah yeah every india is intense everywhere's intense yes Yes. But it sounds like you had a heck of a trip. How, how big was this group that you were in? In Kerala, I was actually by myself. I hired oh. a local guide. But I, I had a local guide because I wouldn't bike that distance by myself just because I'm not an expert biker. So yeah, it was me and a guide. And then in northern India, I actually went with a blogger friend, uh, Derek of Wandering Earl. He's one of those friends I said who leads tours in other countries. But 
he invited me on his India trip. So I think there was probably eight, seven or eight of us. And it was a three week trip. Wow. So were there any like uh, scary moments? Any, any crazy incidents that happened along the way? Right I'll away. say nothing too bad. I'll say we tried the um, what do you call that? The last the Bang Lassie in Varanasi, and it was the definitely sh- the Bang Lassie. It's like a, I guess a marijuana shake of some kind, but it's it's oh, legal yeah. there. But it's like a it's like a yogurt drink or something, right? Yeah, but the Bang Lassie, like a Lassie is the yogurt drink, but the Bang Lassie is the the special one. Oh, and that one was like. The mild kind was not mild. <laughs> oh yeah. So we had it we had an interesting night with that one, but <laughs> oh. But yeah, I mean aside for that just people getting sick, but for the most part we all had like it was a good trip. It was a good trip. I mean, I got sick there and I was on a bus, but I can't imagine being sick and having to ride a bike the next day. Oh yeah. No, well when I was sick was Kerala, so luckily that was not biking. Oh, but boy, boy. yeah, the not sick trip was the biking. The sick trip was the the not biking, luckily. Man, oh man. Well, that's great. great. Yeah. So what's on your, well, I hate the term bucket list, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's on your bucket list? I we, I was just talking with some friends. I I tend to love Latin America and Eastern Europe, so I'm looking more into that. I Actually, I mean, Romania was on my list for next year before you brought it up. So there, uh, I heard great things about Bulgaria. Uh, I'd love to do Estonia. My friends and I were just talking about maybe doing like a jungle trip to Guyana. Um, wow. So yeah, we'll see. And then I would love to do, I've done some Africa, but I could definitely stand to do more. So maybe you know, Tanzania or Kenya or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But I want to, I think, save those for when, you know, I have a good chunk of money saved because I think, you know, I'd like to do a, a really crazy hike and, and things like that. And yeah. it does cost money to do those things. Yeah, I did uh, Kilimanjaro about four years ago. Yeah, that's definitely something. My friend just did it on her honeymoon, and yeah, that looks incredible. I almost think like I'm not married yet, so I, my my boyfriend and I live together. I'm like maybe we'll save that for when the time comes because she did a pretty luxury and it looked it looked really nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. I mean, if you have to live anywhere in the world, and you can't say Italy because that's cheating. That's too easy. <laughs> Where would you move to? You think it would be somewhere in in Latin America, probably? Yeah. Yeah, I think South America. For a while, I was thinking about Guatemala, and I still would. You know, my boyfriend and I actually were talking about living somewhere next summer, not li- you know, for three months uh, before, you know, we get a, get a bit older, maybe, you know, start thinking about kids and stuff like that. Uh, I'm, it's funny because I've been travel blogging since 2011. I have the freedom to live in other places, but I never have really wanted to leave New York. So yeah, I used to do three to four months abroad. And now that I'm a bit older, I like to do just like one trip a month somewhere and then come back to my apartment and my cat. Yeah, my friends are here. I like Sunday brunch. I like going to the movies. You're growing up. Yeah, I think it's it's nice to have like, I have a really good core group of friends that we've been friends for 10 plus years. So it's like, I don't want to leave that. I would for three months though. So that's why we're we're thinking about where we would want to go. It's like maybe Panama, but we just did that. So I don't know. I'm. It's kind of debating. Like, do you go back to somewhere you've been, or should I just try something totally new, which could be fun? What do you think it is about Eastern Europe that speaks to you? I mean, why do you like it so much? Because it's. I feel like it has all the things that people love about Western Europe in terms of like incredible architecture, really good food, great museums, rich history. 
a lot of places have the like charming cobbled streets, but it's way cheaper, less crowded, a lot of nature in, you know, many places, every place is different. But I feel like I did Western Europe because when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is where everyone goes. But then when I got older, I started doing Eastern Europe. I'm like, oh, man, this is just as good, but cheaper and quieter. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've yeah, I just now lately I'm like, I mean, I just went to Spain. I still love all of Europe. But when I was in Ljubljana, for example, that was some of the best restaurants I've ever been to in my life. And a lot of them have some pretty cool social good angles. Like I went to a place that was all the wait staff was um, women who had been in prison and it was helping them get back on their feet. Then there was another restaurant where all the servers were, I think, maybe blind if I'm not mistaken. So there was a lot of those kind of social good restaurants that still had great food. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, great shops. Like you could visit local artisan stores. And it, yeah, it just had everything I think a city should have, but no cars. <laughs> well, I saw on your site, you got great photos of yourself. So you either travel with a photographer or you got uh, a, a timer with a stand or what do you use it for your equipment? You bringing someone along with you, your own personal photographer, or is it all on a stand? Timer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> which can be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do carry on only, which I think is way easier than people realize. Like, I just traveled to Spain with uh, a few other bloggers and my f- really good friend from college. She doesn't travel so much, and she's like, how do I pack, you know, my heels and this and that and that and that? I'm like, you don't need all those things. And then I told her, I'm like, you know, you can use a carry-on suitcase and then a backpack as your personal item. And she was thinking it had to be like a small purse. Right. So that was kind of like a lot of extra room now that she had. I don't know. I think the backpack, unless you're traveling with a drone, which I don't, and I know that that would be really tricky because those things are huge. And I think they need their own suitcase or some. There's some rules with drones. But with a regular oh, yeah. camera... And a GoPro, like I travel pretty, pretty light, like a camera, an extra lens, the GoPro and like a a small gimbal. And I just fold that into my clothes and I'm good to go. (laughs) So if I want to take like good photos, but want a little better than uh, say an iPhone, what, uh, what's the good equipment so I don't have to break the bank and I don't need a degree to operate it? I mean, what kind of uh, equipment would you recommend or what kind of camera? No, I mean, there are good cameras. I personally always, I do get the expensive one. My camera was something like, I don't know, 20, in between 2,500 and 3,000. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's because, business, yeah, uh, if it was just for fun, I wouldn't have spent that. But I also, I like look around for the sales too. So I that's how much it costs. But I think I spent 2,100 because I waited till there was a sale. Uh, I'm very lucky that I live near B&H. So yeah. I have a lot of options and you can test everything out there. So that's like, if you're ever in New York City and you're interested in photography, definitely go there because even with the drones, they have this area that's kind of like a netted fence around you. So you can fly the drones in the store in this like netted cage. You can really try out all these different lenses and cameras before you make a purchase, which is cool. And they have, I think it's a 30 day money back guarantee. Are you that GoPro person with the mounts and all the cameras and the GoPros and that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I have the mounts. I honestly usually use a, what is it called? S1 Removu. That's the the name of it. But it's a a small gimbal, super light. And that's what I use like 90% of the time. 
And then if I'm doing something like active, like on a bike or something, I'll usually use just a head strap. Yeah, because the mounts like, once you stick them to something, it can't come off. So unless it's my own bike or helmet, I don't want to stick it to that. Though sometimes when you rent now, they have helmets with the adhesive mount on. Personally, I have all these mounts, but I probably use the head strap way more often than yeah, just deal with that. But yeah, the gimbal is a game changer. Definitely helps with shaky video quite a bit. So for people who may not know, let them know what a gimbal is. So it's a, like, it's a small, I'm just going to call it a stick. <laughs> it's a stick that you put the GoPro on, or you can get one for your DSLR, or really any camera. And it allows the camera to move in a fluid motion. Takes the shake away. And there's different settings. I mean, you can have it follow you. Uh, you can have it pan, so like if there's a beautiful landscape, maybe you have it start on the the left and you pan it to the right, and it's super, super smooth. So what's the secret in terms of YouTube? How do you get YouTube numbers up? What's what's the secret there? So I have such a small <laughs> following on YouTube. I share my stuff on YouTube, but really I use Facebook. Uh, Facebook is my favorite just because of all the features. One, I have a way larger following there. So to me, it's like, do I want to grow a YouTube channel now? Or do I want to just like share the videos on in the place where I already have a following? So even though, yeah, I have a YouTube channel, it's really not something I spend all that much time on. I do know, though, that there is like, you should be doing the keyword research and all that. But <laughs> I just feel like there's so many social media channels. I'd rather spend less or more time in less places so I can grow there versus like, being exhausted, spreading myself thin across 10 different channels. Yeah, but you can never keep up, right? I mean, there's always a new app that's coming out. And then the existing apps, they change the algorithms and that changes your whole business. So how have you adapted to the changes when they you know, switch algorithms and, and, and a new thing comes out? How, do, how have you adapted? Yeah, it can be frustrating. You know, it's funny, like last or earlier this year, Facebook changed saying, oh, we're going to devalue fan pages. Right. But my stats have actually gone up. And I think it's because I tried harder once I realized that I had to work harder to be seen. And now Facebook, Pinterest used to bring me the most traffic. Now Facebook is bringing me the most traffic. And it's because I'm starting to now go back and revamp my Pinterest strategy because that now changed. Uh, I was using like a tool called Board Booster. That was great. It was helping bring me a lot of traffic. And then it went out of business. Because, oh. yeah, Pinterest didn't allow it anymore. So now I'm switching to Tailwind. And it's starting to go back up again. But it's because I need to take this time to now relearn something I had already spent tons of time learning. <laughs> but I have to, like, relearn another tool. But, yeah, for me, it's really um, – for the Jesse on a Journey, like the blog stuff, Facebook and Pinterest are invaluable in terms of traffic and getting me sales on my products. And Instagram is great for landing those brand partnerships. but I actually have separate channels for my tour company and it's just, it's funny. I put almost no effort into my Instagram on that channel. I literally just post photos of my guests and that brings me so many bookings. I'm like, man, on the Jesse on a journey side of things, I'm spending so much time on my Instagram posts, <laughs> but like on the other, it, it's so different just depending on like your goals and your industry and what you're doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, do you get to the point where you're going to have to hire somebody? Do you have an assistant or something to help you with all this? Yeah, I have an assistant. She does a lot of kind of graphic design stuff and also things like, you know, when I write a blog post and publish it, I let every single blogger, brand, hotel, 
know that they were mentioned and I give them the links so they can easily quickly share the posts to try to get some more traffic. So she has a template. She'll email all those people, um, things like that. But I I feel like I'm a little bit of a control freak. So like she'll draft things, but I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go back in and tweak it. And <laughs> <laughs> so before you take off on a journey, do you uh, have a plan of like, I'm going to write this many blog posts, I'm going to do this many photos and videos, or do you just kind of let it flow naturally? Usually I do one story. I used to do like, you know, so many stories. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a post about the hotel and then I'm going to do about like the restaurants. But I realized that it's in terms of traffic, at least like what I found for me, writing that one huge mega post, it has more keywords in it. It's more in depth. People spend more time on it and it ranks better in SEO. So instead of trying to like write a thousand posts, find a million different keywords, I'll just put all that energy into one post, one post that I need to spend time promoting and it's less work for me. I mean, I'm still putting a lot of work into that one post, but it still is less work. And yeah, <laughs> my sanity is kept intact. <laughs> right, right. So the next year coming up, where are you headed? I have nothing booked as of now, except my my boyfriend is planning a surprise trip next week, but it's somewhere local. I don't know if it has. I don't know because he asked me if it if I would be mad if it doesn't have electricity. So we'll see. Oh, what <laughs> I tend to like electricity. I'm I not gonna go lie. Way. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like super low maintenance. It doesn't need to be fancy, but like I do like some electricity. I like some lights. Um. <laughs> well, when you work with brands and have partnerships and stuff, do you worry that people are gonna say, "Well, she's saying these nice things about it because they're paying her"? Do you run into that problem? People might think that the cool thing is now, and I think it helps that I'm solo travel. Is that usually like nine times out of ten. I'm working with the brand or tourism board one-on-one. So I have almost full control over the itinerary. So it's really like things I would have been doing anyway, except that, you know, they're paying me for it and for, for creating the content, but really nothing. Like I just, what was the last, I just went to say like Texas and they sent me an itinerary and then I went back and said, okay, like I like this, I like this. I wouldn't do that. I'd rather do this. So it ended up being like, if I went on my own anyway, these are the things I would have done. Okay. And that's usually how it goes. I do group trips once in a blue moon. Um, but I, uh, I feel like sometimes with that, it's like they're trying to please so many different people that like the thing you wanted to do didn't really get done. Or like, you know, I love hiking. So we'll do like a piece of a hike. Whereas if I was on my own, I would have done the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So I, t- I feel like I'd rather just go by myself and do the things. I think a lot of tourism boards nowadays are are getting the picture a little bit more and they realize like, okay, maybe we want her to talk about this, but like what's really going to resonate with her audience is this. So let's let her do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we get to do the fun stuff. Give me the craziest things you've eaten while traveling. Ooh, I've eaten. Hmm, I've definitely had some insects. I've had like ant larva tacos. What? Um, oh, wait, where? In Mexico. And I had, I think grasshopper tacos was there too. You fry something long enough that you don't even know what you're eating anymore. Yeah, I, I don't love those. I mean, the ant larva tacos actually were really good. Really? But yeah, they taste, this is gross. It tasted like like eggs, <laughs> kind oh, of. Oh, well, they are kind of eggs. Yeah, but I was like, but it, it is a little bit like then you think about what you're eating. I've eaten <laughs> guinea pig, which is the one I oh, think I most that. people get kind of sad. But it's really, it's really good. And In Peru, right? 
in Ecuador. But yeah, I think Peru yeah. probably has it too. Yeah. You know but, what? It was a lot of work for not much meat. You know, I feel like it tasted like um like pork versus chicken. I think it tasted like a, a fatty chicken or something. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. It's gamey. But I so I grew up with a family that hunts. I grew up seeing like deers hanging from the ceiling in my Uh-oh. garage. Like in so New I York? never in, yeah, Long Island. Oh, okay. I was gonna say in the city, yeah, that would be funny. But um I feel like a lot of people like you know, I've eaten kangaroo or, or guinea pig and they're like, oh, how could you eat that? But then they're eating a cheeseburger and it's like, you know what, that guinea pig, I saw it. It was literally running around a lady's backyard. It had a way better life than that cow you're probably eating did yeah. in a factory farm. So to me, it's like I don't eat based on looks. I eat based on like cruelty. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm a little more like I, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I've definitely I'm sure eaten things that were not you know, killed in the most humane way. But I try to think about that when I choose what I eat. Like anything my family hunts, I'll eat. They hunt buffalo, rabbit, deer, squirrel. Like I've eaten all kinds of, I probably eat more weird things with my parents. (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah. My dad will hunt, used to hunt possums, like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Now give me the opposite. Give me the best thing you've ever had. Give me something that you could just, oh my God, I could eat this every day. This is going to sound so boring. I am obsessed with spaghetti and clams when I'm in Italy. I, I eat it like three times a day. I don't know. Why. I love it anywhere, but in it, when like I'm in Italy, I just want to eat all the spaghetti and clams. Right. Give me <laughs> I'm a worst... seafood person. Any okay. seafood. Give me your worst flight ever. Ooh, um, honestly, not to be mean, in, in India, it, definitely. I feel like, because we were just talking about India, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to hate on India, but the just the hygiene of the flight was really really bad on air india the uh i went within like five hours of the flight i'd say the bathroom was unusable in terms of like Uh, toilet paper being not in the toilet and like uh, so i held it for a really long time who did you take the train there i took the overnight train from mumbai to goa yeah you know i didn't the bathroom was gross i'll say but i didn't hate the train as much as i i was a little nervous um luckily i brought my own water because they didn't have like they said they would have water and food they didn't um it's interesting too like it kind of pains me to see the litter situation there but you know we my group of of friends or the people i met on this tour we're all being really careful to put all of our trash in this bag and then we see this guy literally take the trash bag and just throw it out the door of the train. I was like, oh, my gosh, that kills me. But Yeah. Any uh, run-ins with police or border security? I haven't really had any issues with that. One funny thing, I was oh, – what border crossing was it? I want to say Peru to Ecuador. And um, it was overnight. And I was with – it was I was by myself, but I met these other two guys from Brooklyn who were, like, also just on the bus. So we sat together, fell asleep realized that we're in Ecuador, but we never went through the border crossing. So I went up to the bus driver and he said, oh, no, we did. But you were asleep. I was like, well, you didn't you didn't wake me up. So like me and these two guys from Brooklyn (laughs) didn't have our passport stamped. So the guy like the bus driver sort of drove back a little bit. And we actually had to go to the border border crossing guards house and knock on the door for like 40 minutes. Until he answered the door and stamped our passport like in his pajamas. <laughs> it made no sense. Like I still to this day, I'm like, why wouldn't the bus driver just wake us up? 
but it made no sense. And it was the weirdest thing ever. But yeah, we, we got stamped. I was like, I don't know if we're going to get in trouble for being here without these like right. stamps or whatever. You talk about female solo travel. Have you ever gone to a place where you think, ah, maybe this was a mistake to come here alone as a woman? More like situations. Some of them, like, I don't think were I could have helped. And I honestly would say I've had things happen to me abroad that easily have have or could happen to me here in New York. So in terms of like things that have happened to me with like mainly like, you know, sexual assault, never like something too, too, too crazy. But I've had things happen where I was like definitely uncomfortable because I was the solo female and I was like, for example, one thing that isn't so bad. Well, it kind of was, but I was on a tour by myself, group tour, and um, it was in Chile and the tour guide at some point decided he liked me or something. And I was by myself taking a photo and he grabbed me and kissed me. And I was young. So I was in my young 20s. Now, if this happened to me, I would have said something. But I, in my head, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to ruin the tour for everyone. So I didn't say anything. And it went on like this. At one point, he like bought me a, a like a coffee and I was like oh I don't want anything like he was I think he thought we were dating or something it was so strange and that night he came back to my I was in a uh, bed and breakfast he came back and told the lady that I was supposed to meet him for something and luckily I had told her randomly she was the air the B&B owner was there and I was like man I just had this weird experience this guy the tour guide kissed me and now like uh you know so I had told her that. So when he came and said that, apparently he was also drunk. Oh. Uh, she was like, no, you can't come in. And I'm like, thank God I told her what happened because yeah. maybe she wouldn't have known who he was. Um, but yeah, things like that. But, you know, I've had weird situations in New York City, too, of people harassing me and stuff. So it hasn't been a place, but it's more just like you have to be on guard. I always have a safety alarm on me that I can pull. Um, kind of like a whistle, but I wear it as a bracelet and you pull the cap off. It sounds like a fire truck. Oh, God. Yeah, so it's it's like one of those things. I used to carry a pocket knife, not when I'm traveling, but my dad's like, oh, you got to have a pocket knife. And I'm like, you know, someone could easily turn this on me. I'm very weak. So now I have the alarm. Right, right. But nothing like in a Muslim country where people have told you to cover up or something like that? No, I'm pretty... Call you um, a whore for traveling alone? No, I haven't... Uh, I'm pretty husband? conscious... Yeah, the husband thing I have had, and I usually just say, you know, oh, he's in the bathroom or whatever. But in terms of covering up, I'm really good about that. I have seen friends or other ladies I'm traveling with, you know, be be told to cover up. I think it's important to really research a place before you go. Um, But yeah, sometimes you can't help it. People think you you shouldn't be alone. It's like, well, (laughs) I am. But yeah, I just, I don't, I try not to make that super clear to people who are not going to accept it. Right. Right. Well, you've seen a lot in the last seven or so years of doing this. Where do you see the future headed for, say, blogging or, uh, you know, the travel industry? Where do you see it all headed? I think that I kind of was touching on this before, but I think a lot of bloggers will or should realize that products and services are really what can help you grow your business in a sustainable way. Just because I see, like, especially with my blogging courses I teach, I work with so many people and they're, everyone wants to travel for free. And it's like, okay, but it is going to take you time to like grow this following and, 
and get noticed by brands. And even when you do get noticed by brands, there's no guarantee that they're going to ask you to do something every single month or every single week or, you know, yeah, you're killing it on Instagram and then Instagram goes under or their algorithm changes. So it's just, to me, that's why it is so important to have your own products and services and grow your email list because guess what? If MailChimp goes out of business, you can move that list to ConvertKit or, you know, whatever. So your email list is yours. You own that. And I think that's super, super valuable. And I think if you can create a website, a blog where you are saying, okay, I want to help solo female travelers or whatever it is. I want to help families travel on a budget and you create a product, an ebook, a course, Lightroom presets, whatever it is that are going to help them do that, then you could really like grow your list, attract them with that free content, nurture them, and then show them that, hey, like the next step is purchasing this thing where it's really going to help you change your life or have this transformation. So for me, that's been like that idea has been really what's helped me really, really, really increase my income in the last year or two. Cool. Well, speaking of business, this is where you get to plug all your websites and uh, social media outlets. Uh, go ahead. I'll have links to all these on TravelTalesPodcast.com, but why don't you uh, tell us where we can find you? Awesome. So yeah, my main site is Jesse on a Journey, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-N-A-J-O-U-R-N-E-Y.com. Instagram at Jesse on a Journey, Facebook, Jesse on a Journey, and then Twitter, Jess on a Journey. I couldn't fit the IE when I created my account. Oh really? Yeah, I don't know. I I think it was yeah, too long or something in 2011 when I when I started mine too. it. Yeah, I had the same thing happen to me. I had Travel Tales podcast on everything and Twitter. I had to do Travel Tales Pod. Yeah, I, I couldn't get it. Couldn't fit it all in. Close That's enough. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll ask you this. I ask this of everybody, but how do you think all these years of travel and not only just starting your business in travel, but you as a person, how has it all changed you as a person and how you see the world and how you see other people? Yeah, I think it makes you, I'm sure a lot of people say this, I think it makes you more aware, more compassionate. And also like, I mean, it's tough when you see the news and all these terrible things and, oh, this country is dangerous or in this country, they hate Americans or whatever it is. And then you travel and you're like, okay, that's like not the whole truth whatsoever. So I think you'd also find truths to things and you become more open-minded. And I had dinner, I was in Spain and we were laughing about it. It was like, I'm, you know, not none of us were super religious, but I'm like, you know, I'm brought up Christian. Two of the people at the table were brought up Jewish, two were Muslim. And like, we didn't even talk about religion at all, but we were just like, you know, in some places this would be crazy. But to us, it's like, whatever, like we all get along, we're having a great time. We're like, you know, so it's, I think it just makes you realize like people are people and, you know, while we have our differences, we also have a lot in common and we could have like an amazing time sitting at this table together, going out, having a good time. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad we finally had a chance to do this. I'm glad we finally got a chance to make it work. I know we played phone tag a bunch, had some technical difficulties, but we made it happen. So thank you again. Yeah, Um, thank you. Yeah, well, everybody out there, look for jessieonajourney.com. Go there and follow her on her many, many journeys. Jesse, thanks again for joining us. Jesse yeah. on a Journey, everyone. Bye, Jesse. Thank you. Sit on a Jesse's-